Today's episode is about how to help a friend who's in crisis because of illness or grief. It's also about how to ask for help rather than waiting for friends to know exactly what to do. My guest, Alyssa Butterfass, is a mother of two, works in nonprofit consulting, and also runs Alyssa's Bookless, a Facebook page for book rec- recommendations, which I love. She's an active member of her children's school community, where she has experience giving support to people in challenging times, and also being on the receiving end of that support, particularly when she was diagnosed with cancer in 2014, and again, when her husband Andy died unexpectedly in December 2019. A few months ago, Alyssa reached out on email to discuss a trend she saw on some of the Facebook pages and forums for widows. She wrote to me, One thing I see over and over in these groups is people complaining that friends who said they'd be there for them have disappeared or dropped off or stopped supporting them. Now, maybe I'm just lucky, but I honestly don't feel that way. I feel like I have lots of friends who would be there for me. All I have to do is ask. I certainly don't expect my friends to read my mind or guess what I want from them. And each time I see one of these complaints, I want to reply, have you asked for help? Do they know what you need? Are you expecting too much? So I wrote Alyssa back and it started a conversation between us about the nature of friendships when one of the friends is experiencing a crisis such as illness or grief. I had not started the podcast yet, but I knew I would. And I knew Alyssa would help so many listeners know what to do when any of us have friends who need our help. Welcome, Alyssa. And it's so nice to finally meet you in person after emailing and being social media friends for I don't even know how many years, many years. Several years. This is great. This is really fun for me. I say we circled same online circles. Like you can have, you know, offline social circles and online social circles, and we kind of orbit in a similar... I think we both love reading. We both love writing. We sort of have very similar types of interests. Yeah. So thank you really for coming on and and talking about your personal examples. And this episode is really going to be in two parts. We're going to talk about what a friend could do to help without being asked. And then we're going to talk a little more about specifically your situation of being comfortable asking and the kinds of things you felt comfortable asking for and really why a person should feel that they can ask their friends for help. But let's start first with what a friend could do when they know they have a friend who's in crisis of some kind, what could a friend do to help? Sure. Well, first, I just want to start off saying that we're going to focus on friendships out there that I have a wonderful supportive family. So between my parents and my brother and my sisters-in-law, my cousin in particular, I've had a lot of support, not just from friends and family. So I do want to put that out there. I will say though, friends really have been wonderful. Unfortunately, I had very specific situations where I really did need help. So it's not comfortable to ask for help, but there are times where you just need it. First thing I would say to people who are looking to help a friend in need, is there some sort of infrastructure or system in place within your community that you can go to for help. So for example, in my children's school community, this is now very much embedded in like our DNA. I think there is an email address that goes to a confidential committee. So if you're going through a surgery, a sickness, a loss, you can email them and say, here's my situation. So if you do have a friend who's in crisis, the first thing I would say is, is there a structure already in place where you can 
turn to. That's a great point. You don't always need to reinvent the concept of of helping as a community if it already exists. So I'm glad you brought that up. In terms of things, though, you can specifically do, regardless of whether or not there's a structure in place, things that you can do specifically just as a friend. The first one that always comes to mind is organizing a meal train, having a sign up that you could send out to the person in need, to their family and friends, to their community where people sign up to bring meals and you find out are there any allergies? Are there any food preferences? How many people are in the house? What time do they usually eat dinner? So then one thing I would say about the meal train that might be a little less obvious, but is really helpful is set up a cooler. If the house allows, if there's a front porch or a front step, set up a cooler because sometimes if you're sick or recovering from surgery, really difficult to get to the door. You just might not be comfortable enough to do it. So if there's a cooler, anyone can drop off food or a meal or groceries, leave it outside and then you can retrieve it or someone can retrieve for you when they come home. You know, my kids would check the cooler when they got home from school. I love that idea. Also, I have to imagine in a grief situation, not even just a a health situation, maybe you don't feel like seeing anybody. Maybe you don't want to always have an interaction. I really think that's a great, great tip for the person who's in crisis, but maybe a friend could even suggest that. Maybe if a friend sees a meal train has started, the friend could suggest, hey, why don't we get a cooler out here? Somebody could help set that up. That could be something a friend does to help. Um, Similarly, I would say uh, don't deliver your meals in your favorite Pyrex dishes. You know, use something that is disposable or recyclable or that you don't need back. Tupperware is great because, again, there's too many things on this person's mind, whether they're in grieving or they're sick. They don't have the focus to remember who delivered what. And then the other thing I would say is um, if someone is like me and is not a cook, restaurant gift cards, seamless gift cards, There are other ways to provide a meal, ordering in from a restaurant and having it delivered. There are other ways to contribute to the meal chain without you being the one to cook. We have DoorDash and So it's similar. It's similar. It's another. We have DoorDash, Uber Eats. We have a whole bunch of them. And Seamless is one of the ones where they have connections with a bunch of restaurants and, you know, you can order from there. That was great. we We didn't say where you live, I don't think. Oh, I'm in uh, White Plains, New York. I'm in the suburbs of New York in Westchester County. All right, just so people like have a sense of where you're calling from. (laughs) Okay, I think we've covered sort of meals, but grocery shopping, carpooling, especially if people have kids, carpooling to school, play dates, birthday parties, all those things where kids have to get from one place to the other. That is incredibly helpful if you could, usually when you carpool, you try to make it, I do one way, you do one way. Just take it over for the next few weeks. Coming in and doing a lot of laundry. This was a big one for me because my kids were little when I had cancer. People were buying me lots of gifts, but even better is when they bought my kids gifts, especially games they could play on their own because I just couldn't sit on the floor and do things with them and play games with them. So there are definitely games that either my two kids could play together or even better, they could each play on their own and entertain themselves. That was a gift. And then I would say even as they got older, when my husband passed away, my brother-in-law bought my kids a year of Disney Plus. Disney Plus had just launched. We were all stuck at home doing nothing. So having Disney Plus and all the Disney and Marvel movies was fantastic. I mean, we we used that so much. So that was just a really... Thoughtful gift. Yeah, exactly. We both use the word at the same time. Not just a gift to do the gesture of being like and checking the box as the giver being like, okay, I did something. Like a lot of times you don't want to have forgotten your friend or family member who's in crisis. And so you could definitely just go through the motions. But that was a really thoughtful what would actually help these kids and also help you by keeping the kids happy. 
Yeah. I so can't believe COVID was three months later, Alyssa. Oh my God. Yeah. About two and a half, by two and a half months later, my kids were home. Like by middle of March, my kids were home. So it was crazy. And it's crazy to think that my husband wasn't here for COVID. Like none of it, he doesn't know about COVID. That to me yeah. is a little crazy. That's a side point. <laughs> um, magazines, you know, books. I mean, I think when people are sick or grieving, they don't necessarily have the brain capacity for some really deep stuff, but they might want to read the latest romance or things that are a little bit more enjoyable. I joke around, but literally for every book I read for the year after my husband died was sort of the type of book where you know how it's going to end on page one, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. And a thread for that on your Facebook group, the Alyssa's book list about yes. just like books you can give to someone who's in crisis. Like, oh, that's no, a good idea. That's a great idea. Unfortunately, you're an expert now. Uh, yes. Alyssa, tell us how friends helped with the Shiva. You know, different families and religions have various rituals around death. Different families have just different rituals in general, religious or not. We're both Jewish, so I know you were dealing with Shiva after Andy died. Friends who literally, like the day after my husband died, came to my house, cleaned my entire house so that it would be presentable for having guests over at Shiva, cleaned my entire kitchen, made sure there was room for all the food that was going to be coming in. Organization is not my strong suit, so having them do that was really very, very helpful. That, and then, those are some good friends. I just want yes. to pause for a second, just appreciate <laughs> that gesture, more than a gesture. I mean, that very active role. There's funeral arrangements and meal arrangements. It's like our parents generation knows what to do. Right? Yes. If you're like in your 60s, 70s, it's like, you know, to come and clean out the fridge to make room, you know, to make sure there's lots of Tupperware around for leftovers of the meals that are coming. And I don't know if everybody in our age bracket and younger, obviously people younger have all kinds of crises. It's not always obvious what to do. And I think it's great that your friends were able to come in, just figure things out. Oh, maybe yeah. They've done it I before, mean, maybe not. I don't know. I think some of them, you know, unfortunately had been through it. Or in terms of organizing a house for Shiva, someone came in that next day with just paper goods and things like that because they knew, especially when someone young dies, there's, you know, when someone much, much older dies, I don't know that they're, you know, they've already lost perhaps a lot of their friends. But when it's someone younger, you, a lot of people come to pay their respects, which is lovely. But just even like the paper goods, I mean, my entire, I had an entire closet in my house that they just filled with paper goods so that people could eat and have coffee and whatever, have drinks and all of that. I want to meet your friends. They really just I, sound... Amazing. And then the other thing for people who are sick, lots of doctor's appointments, perhaps chemo appointments, things like that. So either driving them to or from appointments, sitting with them while they're going through their chemo, um, picking up medicine, all those things are things that are helpful. One thing that I would really suggest to anyone feel like you do want to help when you're the person on the receiving end, that's really hard because again, we'll talk about this more. It's not always comfortable to ask for help. So my suggestion is be specific as possible. So don't say, is there anything I can do for you? But instead call up, I'm on my way to Trader Joe's. Do you have milk? Do you have cereal? What can I get for you? Or say, I'm on my way to CVS. Do you have medicines that need to be, are you out of Tylenol? What do you need? So as specific as you can get, because when you say, let me know if you need anything. It's really hard for people to reach out. I would also add, if you've gone through something similar and know of you know, things that can be helpful, 
So for example, with my cancer, I ended up, thankfully I didn't have chemo or radiation, but I did have surgery and I went through medical menopause, which means hot flashes and all those things. And I was really the first of my friends to go through this because it was medical menopause. And I discovered a pair of pajamas that were like the only pajamas I could wear that kept me cool. Unfortunately, since my time, I've had a few other friends who send them a pair of these pajamas and they appreciate it. I mean, it's just something that maybe other people don't know, but you're going to send something or maybe want to do something that was pulling on my own experience. And whatever you go through, you might have something else like that, that you find helpful, a certain heating pad, a certain share, share your knowledge. And then one thing I would really say is I think people overlook, I think the day-to-day logistics, especially in the beginning, people are very well attuned to that. And I think your first week, two weeks, month, you usually do have people there. I think where a lot of the complaints that I saw on these message boards and forums initiated my email to you is people drop off over time. Their life as they should and their life goes on and they've got full lives. They don't know that you're still exhausted because you're still the only adult and having a meal, even though it's three months later, would be incredibly helpful. Or not having to drive carpool would be helpful. Grief doesn't end after a month. It sort of comes and goes in waves. So just be sure to check in. You I have know, a question I, about that. If you're, yeah. let's say you're the friend who's checking in, you do it a couple times and the one who lost a spouse or who is sick says, oh, we're fine. We're fine. How much do you follow up with that? Like, there, it, I think what a lot of people suffer with, I know I have, is not wanting to be annoying and not wanting to be pushy right. and finding that line between also being supportive. So I think a little bit depends on your relationship prior to whatever crisis or your friend is going through. Like you said, you don't want to overstep your balance, but be quiet for a month and then check a month later and say like, Hey, I'm thinking of you. Do you want to grab coffee? Or I'm thinking of you. I know you're probably really busy. I'm going to Trader Joe's. Like, can I drop something off for you? I mean, I still have a friend who, if I happen to be speaking to her, she'll say, oh, I'm actually on my way to the grocery store. Do you need anything? So even though it's two years later, it's that's not the reason she's calling me, but it's enough that if she's on the phone with me, she'll, she'll certainly ask still. Did you get closer with anyone who stepped up in a way that maybe was more than you would have expected? Like maybe you weren't as close before before um, Andy passed away, but after he did? And and did people step up in ways that surprised you? I would say there's some people who just were amazing. I was close before, but even closer now. So for example, I have been friends with this woman. Our sons since kindergarten have been best friends. And so we were friendly. At the time my husband passed away, we were both co-PTO presidents of our school's PTO. So we were already on the way to, like, we were very good friends and becoming, you know, she was my work wife. So for six months, she already was like my work wife. And then my husband passed away. And then she became like my real wife because she was the one who came to my house and cleaned the house. She, she was doing everything on top of, by the way, for several months, being the sole president of the PTO, because I just couldn't you know, they took me off emails that, you know, for several months, I really just had to step back. I have a friend of someone who I was friendly with, you know, our kids were in nursery school together. Now they're in different schools. We're friendly when we see each other, maybe once or twice a year, we'd go for lunch. This is a friend who now every single Friday has not missed it, has emailed me on Friday to wish me a good weekend. And it might just be like Shabbat Shalom or have a good weekend or how are you doing? It's not necessarily huge conversations, but it's become our thing. Now I try to beat her to it and we get, I get very excited if I remember to wish her a happy weekend before she wishes me. And it's just 
a nice, simple way to know that she's thinking of me. It's not that she's doing anything so spectacular or that changes my logistics of anything, but it is just such a sweet way that I know she's thinking of me that it's become now it's almost two years. That's part of my weekend. It's not a weekend till I hear from Jessica. That's really beautiful. And it's a good reminder that friendships don't need to be frozen in time. I mean, just because you were more like acquaintances at one point doesn't mean that two people can't become closer. And of course, as we know, many episodes are dedicated to this. Just because you're closer doesn't mean there aren't going to be problems and you become less close. But I love this positive view of um, the way friendships can grow and strengthen, even in crisis. A good segue, Alyssa. I talk about how to ask for help and why to ask for help. So if friends maybe aren't showing up in the way that you had hoped, or you just, it's like you're saying, it's months down the line, the meal train has stopped. The acquaintances who signed up for the meal train because they go to the same school, the kids go to the same school are no longer kind of part of the scene. So what what happens next? Thing I would say is change your mindset. I think a lot of us help. I don't want to be in position. I don't want to owe people favors. I don't want to ask a favor. But if you change your mindset and think about, think how good you always feel much better when you're giving help than when you're receiving help. So think of this as you're giving your friends an opportunity to help you. You're giving them an opportunity to feel good. I think when you go through a crisis, your friends want to help. And in a lot of ways, they're very helpless because they can't take away your care unless they're the doctor. They can't bring your spouse back for certain. There is a helplessness. The thing that you need most, they likely can't do. So let them do the stupid thing, like bring your kid's favorite cereal. Alyssa, let's talk about the mindset change that it took for Andy to receive help when you had cancer and needed major surgery. You had told me about his reluctance at first. And I think it would be a good example for other people to hear how he changed his mind. My husband was an ER doctor, which means that shift work a lot of nights and weekends, and there's no leaving earlier or or going to work late. So there was a lot of parameters around what he could and couldn't do while I was recovering from surgery. And so my friends wanted to start a meal train. And he was absolutely not. That is charity. We don't need it. We can take care of ourselves. That's ridiculous. And I sat there and said, I really put back and I, and I usually try to not be the most pushy wife, but this case I was, and I basically said to him in our community, this is expected. People do this when someone like, we are not the only ones to have gone through this. I can't tell you how many meal trains I've participated in. This is just part of what our community does in terms of thinking about who to ask for what. And again, this touches upon what we were talking about before. You don't necessarily ask the same things from the same people because you might have different comfort level, different things. So for example, a friend whose business is helping um, seniors who are downsizing or moving into a senior living arrangement. She's used to going through clothes and closets and saying, this is what you recycle. This is what you donate. This is what you keep. She came and cleaned out Andy's closet for me and and all of Andy's toiletries. So that was, you know, a wonderful way for her to be very helpful in a unique way that really was her expertise. I don't cook. I've had several people on the FaceTime. They're in their kitchen. I'm in my kitchen and they're cooking with me. Alyssa, what would you say is the hardest thing that you ended up asking a friend for? One of my biggest fears is I'm a very extroverted person. I get my energy from being with people, making their plans for a Saturday night. A couple friends and you go out and you, four of you or six of you go out for dinner. And I was really scared. Not only was I losing my spouse, but I was now going to lose my social life. In the beginning, it actually, because of COVID, it wasn't an issue, right? No going out. This past summer when it was nice enough again and 
people were vaccinated and people were starting to eat out at restaurants and you know on the balconies and on the patios. I really was scared. And so it's very vulnerable, but there were definitely a few friends who I felt close enough to that I really called them up and I said, this is going to sound crazy, but like, if you're making plans on a weekend, please let me be your third wheel, your fifth wheel, your seventh wheel. Like, I am fine with that. I'm really scared that I'm going to be with my two teenagers who, by the way, ignore me every Saturday night because one's on Xbox and one's, God knows, you know, doing whatever with his friends on his phone that I'm going to be sitting here. There's only so many, like, chick flicks I could watch on a Saturday night. So, um I have a few friends that I really made a point and said, I'm okay being your third wheel or your fifth wheel if you're comfortable with it. I really can't express enough how important. That's so great that you just said it. Like you said exactly what you were feeling, which is I am scared. I'm going to be alone every Saturday night. Please include me. I think the average person, I, almost most people would let the resentment grow. It's a very natural, I mean, I don't blame people. It's very natural. Like we're saying, to, it's very hard to ask for help. So it's much more natural to just not ask than grow resentful that people aren't including you. You basically took control of the situation and good for you. The real difference was I certainly had plenty of friends where I knew that they would meet me for lunch or coffee or things like that. But there's something about being alone on a Saturday night that just is it made me feel my loss even more, more than anything else. When people say people are abandoning me and they're not there for me. I think after a while, it becomes less about the CVS trips and the grocery trips and the carpools. And it becomes more about, I'm still feeling this loss. This is a moment of vulnerability where I feel it even more so. Yeah, and so I think that's, that's I think good. that's what people are, I, I think back to, again, this original question of um, these people who were having these complaints on the message board, they're not there for me, not there for me. And I did you know, again, these are also people who are grieving. So I didn't want to write back in a rude way and be like, well, what do you mean by being there for you? What are your expectations? But I'm trying to um, sort of infer that my guess is if it's a several months later or a year later or two years later and they're feeling like their friends aren't there for them, it's not the logistical things. My sense is it's mostly that social aspect of I'm still here and I want to be part of your, your social circle. That's really insightful that, and, and a great tip for everybody listening. Um, and I think for divorced friends too. Any last tips you want to add for what people can ask for if they're asking for help. If not, we'll move on to the better friendship goal of the week. But if you have anything to add, I want to give you a chance to do that. Think back to what we were talking about with what a friend could do to help. Any of those things are legitimate thing. Well, anything is a legitimate thing to ask for. And I would say for me, it's not so much what you're asking for. For me, it's the fact that you know that in general, people want to help. And even if they've sort of, you sort of feel like you've fallen off our screen. My guess is if you sort of have the courage to ask them or the bravery to say, I need help. And even if it's something very simple, um, or if it's something more around the social situation, my guess is people have that good intention and it just might not be in their mind. And once you sort of remind them of them, they're happy to help. That is my guess. I, I, I think people like to assume the good of people. I want to assume they want to help. Yeah, but, I think that that's a fair assumption. I, and I think people are really paralyzed by not knowing what to do. So I hope this really helps a lot of people. 
And now for the Better Friendship Goal of the Week, Alyssa is going to give an idea first and I will give a second idea. Alyssa, you're up. If you're someone who has received help or has asked for help or has needed help, consider paying it forward. So think about what's in your community, whether it's your school, your synagogue, your church. Is there any way that you can create a community group that helps people in time of need? I like that idea. And it, that puts putting a lot, it sounds like maybe it's putting a lot on someone who's been in a crisis, but you're in the position now, like where you, you're starting to pick up the pieces. And if you feel like you can pay it forward, that's great. Cause now you've had all these ideas. And my idea is for the goal of the week is if you know someone who is in crisis but it's been a while since you've done anything. Maybe you already dropped off two meals from the meal train, but now it's been a couple months. I would say just check in. You would give it an idea just to uh, that friend who checks in every Friday. It doesn't need to be every Friday, but maybe you check in a couple of times just to say, I'm thinking of you. And you don't necessarily need to get a response or expect a response, but just to put it out there that they're still in your thoughts. So everyone probably knows somebody out there in that situation. So I think that's one we can all do for sure. That is all for our goals, Alyssa. I am so grateful you took the time to talk with me today. So many valuable tips for everyone. And I will have all the information in the show notes. I'm going to bullet point all of Alyssa's ideas so that people can share them with others and you can come back to it as a resource. And I'll also put a link to Alyssa's book list where there's a lot of great conversation in there with book recommendations and she starts a lot of good conversations. So I think people who love to read like you and I do will enjoy that. Thanks for listening and special thanks to my producer, Dave DeLugar. You can find all the show notes, a form to ask your own anonymous question to use in a future episode and a link to my private Facebook group, Dear Nina, on my website, ninabadzen.com. If you have time to rate and review the podcast or even better, tell a friend, that would be so great. And come back next week because when our friendships are going well, we're happier all around.